Welcome to the Kentuckian, folks. Glad to have you with us. Howdy, y'all. Today, we're going to officially kick off the Pillars of the West series. Now, this is an uh, idea or a plan that I talked about actually a good while back, and I didn't get it started as quickly as I wanted to. Um, but that's what we're going to do today. We're actually going to have our introduction episode. As we've talked about before, uh, off and on throughout our episodes in the Kentuckian, and hopefully we understand um, that culture and civilization are extremely important as agents that bind a country and a people together and the devastating effects when there is no strong moral culture, as we were going through right now, culture and civilization and, and uh, those sorts of things come up quite a bit because when those things are eroded and destroyed and, and broken down, then it affects every other part of our life. And that's why we have most of the problems that we do today. We need to understand what our culture is. And of course, this would be mainly for Westerners, and that's most all of my audience, even the internet, most of the international listeners that I have are from other parts of what's usually considered the West. Uh, it's often referred to, of course, as Western civilization. It's rich in heritage and art, accomplishments, heroes, Christianity slash religion, everything that matters. Um, Western civilization has had a lot to do with it. Um, has has taken it and, and advanced it greatly, has contributed much to the world. And yet, there's been a concerted and extremely effective effort to undermine basically everything about Western civilization, to undermine Western civilization itself. And as a result, we as Westerners, and that would be people from North or South America and Europe basically, have virtually no identity, no anchor in life, and everything that our ancestors accomplished and that we carry on as their descendants is on the verge of being lost. And what will inevitably replace it is darkness, suffering, debauchery, and so on. And of course, we know that a lot of that has already made, unfortunately, quite a lot of progress. And this will be a shorter episode, by the way, but we're going to kind of set up what the Pillars of the West is going to discuss and, and some of the, uh, the key things to remember as we think about Western civilization and why it matters and so on. One of the key weapons that's used in the destruction of Western civilization and the very, the very glue that binds the West together, that binds our country together, is multiculturalism. Multiculturalism uh, is basically pushing the idea that every culture is equal and that multiple cultures should live together as equals in the same country. Now, this is usually pushed through the concept, and, and in practice what it means is that Western civilization is evil, racist, etc. While all other civilizations are equal, Western civilization really is a tear down. And honestly, that's what they get at, even though philosophically that's not what they say. As soon as you get into the details, that's what it leads to. So multiculturalism is one of the main tools to undermine and tear down Western civilization. One of the main problems of multiculturalism is a general idea that, that every culture is equal, that multiple cultures should live together as the equals in the same country. Basically, everybody can maintain their culture um, and should maintain their culture and never assimilate to anything, never adjust their culture. Don't worry, your culture is just as good as everyone else's, and you shouldn't change. Now again, this idea contradicts the very idea of what a culture is. Uh, aside from the idea of whether col all cultures are equal, which they're not, um, but aside from that point, um, 
it, it's it's self-contradicting. One of the main points of culture and of separate cultures is to divide people into similar groups, people that share similar things so that their differences don't tear people apart. It allows you to get into groups groups of people that share much of the same thing with you, where if you mixed everybody together with different life experiences and different values and different perspectives, it would lead to chaos and destruction and division. The things that matter to people, their values, and I'm not just talking about morals there, although that is part of it, um, you know, what's important to them in general, you know, um, their general worldview of how the world should work, of how people should be treated, um, manners, all those sorts of things that would fall under values, but not always under morals are included in that. Um, art and entertainment, even a culture, a, per, a people's food, um, their heritage and their history, which of course undergirds really all of that. All those different things, the, the things that matter to people in the way that they live on an everyday basis, that's what makes cultures, cultures. That's what makes them distinct and separate from other groups. But not everyone shares those things, right? Even when we're not talking about right and wrong, not everyone shares the same values. Not everyone shares the same art and entertainment. Not everyone shares the same worldview uh, or quite the same interpretation of, of a very, of a kind of a universal worldview, say, based off religion or something. That's what makes these groups unique, the ability to split people up based on that um, so that you can kind of hang out, quote unquote, you can spend time and be around people that share your values, basically. What multiculturalism does is it purposely breaks down these natural borders, these natural barriers, and forces these cultural groups to interact, to be together in unnatural ways. And this is what brings them into conflict. It's extremely dangerous. It's extremely destructive. And uh, we've seen a lot of its effect here in the last several, last few decades here. Um, again, it's not just right and wrong, because that is a part of it, but people can have differing um, cultures and not necessarily have an issue of right and wrong. Uh, but those things are still important to people. They're still valuable, right? It's based often, I mentioned heritage and history, it's often based off of their past, off of their connection to to the very ground that they live on, right? That's where maybe their 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 families have been and, and where the history that is directly connected to them has all taken place. What, how those values and stuff are formed often comes from the past or most of it comes from the past comes from heritage. Even as it develops, it's influenced by heritage and history. And that makes the bond between people in the same culture stronger, but it also increases the problems that arise when you try to unnaturally destroy those borders or those barriers that those groups that culture forms. So you may ask, well, cultural exchange is still important, right? There's a lot of, of progress that's been made through cultural exchange, problems that have been solved, uh, benefits for groups of people. You know, cultural exchange is important. So how does what you're saying not mean, well, culture should just stay completely separate or should stay separate? Right, because it could be taken that way, and there's many people that would probably say, "Well, if you believe what you just said, then you don't think that cultures should ever interact, or cultures should exchange um, pieces of themselves with other cultures." Well, I would agree that yes, cultural exchange is important within reason. The key is that cultures should have exchange and do naturally have exchange, but it's in the context of nations, it's in the context of borders, it's in the context of structure. 
there is a sp- certain structure to cultural exchange that is important to keep it healthy and to keep it useful. Throughout this, hi- throughout history, excuse me, um, this has happened in various different ways. Geography might have been enough to keep a certain structure for cultural exchange, uh, but in general, nations have have been what have kept cultures separate. Borders, um, national identity, or city-state identity, depending on what part of history you're talking about, right? It wasn't always a big country. Maybe it was just a city or an area, uh, a small area. But either way, the borders, if you will, and I don't mean necessarily physical borders, the the group, the capsule that holds all of all of the things that make your culture, your culture, Greek culture, Roman culture, whatever... Those borders, those walls, those barriers have been kept strong, and they've been maintained um, and opened in very specific structured ways, and that's what's led to useful cultural exchange when those borders have been destroyed. Sometimes it might be a literal border. Sometimes it might be the normal ways of trade and travel that people would use to exchange culture has now turned into raiding and pillaging, and you have great bands of, of raiders roaming the countryside or um, an invading force that isn't a typical invasion, but they move into an area because those borders have been destroyed. Those sorts of things happened in, in empires to some degree. As they grew weaker, their borders, their literal borders sort of dissolved on the outside, on the outskirts, and that allowed people to sort of move in and start a unnatural cultural exchange. But in general, for cultural exchange that has happened that has been productive, it has been when cultures are kept separate and the ways in which they communicate with each other are maintained and have enough structure that to allow for helpful cultural exchange. You will still have cultural exchange to a certain degree in these unhealthy situations, but it causes a whole lot of problems. So an example, you know, trade is a big way that that happens. And we'll talk in more detail later. Trade is a big way that that happens. Travel, so maybe it's entertainers, maybe it's um, historians or researchers, you know, like scientists or tourists, really. Cultural exchange happens in those ways, but it's structured, right? You don't just walk into another country. You don't just come into another country, sell your stuff without any without any regulations, right? I mean, even though in general the world has had a pretty free market, there's still been taxes, there's still been regulations. That's where geography can make an effect too because it may physically limit how many people from a certain culture can travel to another. You might think of Rome and the Great Silk Road. Well, there was trade that happened between China and Rome, but the geography, even though they built this road that made travel a lot easier, it was such a long trip, such an arduous trip, arduous, excuse me, I said that, such a difficult trip that it by nature limited the kind of exchange and how much exchange could happen, how many people could go from one area to another. Again, that might also be strong borders. That might also be um, various regulations or whatever the case might be. I think you get what I'm, I hope you get what I'm getting at. But that maintained a structure and it limited the amount of, of exchange, the amount of turbulence that could come from people with different values, different morals coming into your country and having an influence on people. Uh, It's kind of like the difference between if you have a river and there's nothing controlling it, or if you build a dam on that river and maybe a lock, so then you can control the flow of water, 
Um, you can control how much goes out or how much goes in. Um, you can, with that lock, you can control the water enough to allow boats to pass. And of course that might be where you turn a, a river into a dam and a river, oh, excuse me, a lake and a river with the dam. So you have a tight control over how that, how much water goes through instead of it being just wide open, you know? And, uh, or, or maybe this would be a better, even a better illustration. You take a water hose, say you're going to gar- you've got a garden, you're going to water it. You've got a water hose and you just turn that, that spigot and well, water just comes out right as fast as it can. Well, what do you do if you want greater control over that water? You get a, a garden sprayer or a, a sprayer head and you screw that onto the, the hose. And now the water doesn't just come out when it wants to. You pull the, the handle and water sprays out. And usually they have several different options so you can choose exactly how. Maybe you want to spray a mist. Maybe you want to spray a heavy stream. Maybe you want to spray kind of a lot of little streams. That's kind of the idea of of how cultural exchange has to happen. It has to be controlled and structured. And when it gets dangerous is when you just let the water flow freely without any control. There are far too many countries where the majority ethnic or cultural group oppresses the minority to varying extremes. Sometimes it's relatively tame. Sometimes it turns into genocide. Czechoslovakia is an example of this issue that actually resolves somewhat well for an important reason. So Czechoslovakia was a country... Um, that came to exist in 1918 after World War I. And if I remember correctly, it was kind of allowed to exist in the way that it did to be sort of a buffer state against Germany, I think. But either way, it, it had been a, the area had been a few provinces of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Um, or the Austro- yes, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, if I remember correctly. And um, so this country, Czechoslovakia, was formed out of well, kind of two or three or four areas, but the peoples that lived in those areas were were mainly two separate cultures, the Czechs and the Slovaks. Well, the Czechs and the Slovaks for, were in Czechoslovakia as a single country, but they worked together very fairly well because their cultures were actually very similar and, and almost everything that matters. Czechs and Slovaks, while they were distinct, shared a lot of the same values, a lot of the same cultural elements. Um, and they did eventually split, as you may know, into the Czech Republic and Slovakia. However, this was done peacefully, thankfully. Um, so even though they were really similar, they still decided to split. And luckily it wasn't a, a bloody civil war or something, but that split came because of differences in belief on how to deal with the transition from being a Soviet Union puppet state in the late 80s and the early 90s. So thankfully, this was not an extreme example, but they even these people that had a very similar culture and were able to stay together for a certain amount of time still split because of a difference on how to deal with the cultural transition um, from being a member of the Warsaw Pact. I think they were a member of the Warsaw They were Soviet Union puppet state regardless. England and Ireland and also Scotland and Wales and the United Kingdom is a, is a great example of forced union leading to attempted cultural cleansing even. Maybe not quite as extreme as some, but still pretty extreme in some ways. England has had a long history of bullying and attacking and, and treating its neighbors in Ireland and Scotland and Wales extremely poorly um, to kind of bring them under the English crown. And yet we often think of them having somewhat similar cultures, and really they do have somewhat similar cultures, and yet England has, I mean, we've talked about the uh, the troubles, as they talked about in the 60s to the 90s, where Ireland fought back 
against England, the IRA and stuff like that. Scotland had a long history. Ireland had, of course, had many, many wars with England before that. Scotland had a lot of wars. Wales, probably not as much, but I do think they have some. And so they have a lot of things in common. The Kentuckian, trying to make a difference one person at a time.